The Perfectly Generic podcast contains spoilers, occasional adult language, and Vriska. Additionally, this episode includes discussion of sensitive topics that may be upsetting to listeners, including racism, anti-Semitism, and the Holocaust. You've been advised. Uh. <laughs> That's the mood this week, frankly. Yeah. Yeah, well, for real. <laughs> Hi, Paige. Welcome to the Perfectly Generic Podcast. I'm uh, I'm sorry you had to debut under these circumstances. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm I'm Kate Mitchell. I'm your host, uh, Paige. Welcome to the show. You want to introduce yourself? I'm Paige. Um, and I don't I don't know what to say. I'm Paige. I like Homestuck, and I'm upset and Jewish, and there you go. The emotional labor of liking Homestuck. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that should be the title of this, one, honestly. <laughs> I'm thinking about it, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, so this week we are gonna we're gonna talk about uh, what happened on the first. Uh, there was sort of the first peep of uh, Homestuck content heading into this year. Uh, the tenth year of the property, um, and it was uh, was one that you know it got, it got uh, a significant portion of it was taken down immediately and apologized for uh, because it upset a lot of people, um, and I was one of those people. You were one of those people. Um, so we're gonna go into this episode. Uh, what happened? What was the content? Uh, why was it unacceptable? What were some compounding factors? Um, and then talk about the apology statement, um, V's clarifying remarks, uh, the next steps for Skynet, and how they can rebuild trust with the fans. Um, before we do that, um, even though it's a it's, it's a sadder it's a sad occasion uh, compared to usual, I did want to ask uh, the show the question that we always ask when someone new comes on the show, which is, uh, what's your history with Homestuck? Uh, how'd you get into it? What's your like? How'd you, you know, how'd you, how'd your life end up to the point where you're on a podcast talking about it? <laughs> um, so in 2012, it was between my freshman and senior or freshman and junior years of high school. And I was on Tumblr and I was following just a bunch of random blogs. Mostly they had to do with like Vocaloid and Legend of Korra. And this one blog that I was following, that was like a role play blog, I think. It was during one of the hiatuses of Homestuck. And it was the one where people were trying to pass it off as an anime and this blog that I was following reblogged this thing like, here's a link to the first episode of Homestuck. And I clicked it, and it was the first page, and the rest is history. So that's my story. Yeah. You've been a fan ever since? Yeah. What were those, what, what was the sort of, what was the experience for you of like that, you know, that, that 2012 to 2016 time? It was, I don't know, it's hard to remember exactly. Um, because it was also high school for me, so there was just a lot going on in general. Mm -hmm. Mostly what I remember is a lot of fan meetups in Los Angeles. Those were really fun, you know, with cosplay and people hanging out in parks and, you know, spin the bottle, and everyone brought, like, soper pies and whatever. (laughs) So it was... I was a lot more... I had a lot more interaction with, like, IRL fans than I do now in that p- time period. Mm-hmm. I remember at one 
meetup that was on 413. It was the one where uh, Paradox Space was announced. And I was the one who first saw the notification about that. So I started like shouting at everyone during like in the middle of the um, uh, photo shoot portion of the meetup so that was really fun i miss paradox space i hope me too i would like i would like after whatever content gets dropped on us this year for paradox space to come back or for something like it to come back yes please (laughs) so let's uh let's get into it um on uh january 1st 2019 uh a website was uh quiet quietly posted uh all of the presence of what pumpkin on the internet uh, was redirected to Skynet Systems. Uh, the Twitter account was changed. The website redirected. Um, it's a rebrand of the company behind Homestuck, um, and it was presented uh, in a sort of metatextual way as the in-universe Skynet website. Um, it the website includes a uh, list of GPS coordinates, a ten-year countdown clock. Um, and originally included a significant amount of uh, additional content hidden in the source code of the site, uh, which was quickly discovered and uh, consumed by fans, uh, including on our live stream of the uh, of the events that morning. Um, so first off, before we get into the specific content, I want to say, because there's been some confusion about this, please do not go to those GPS coordinates. They are. They were not selected. They, there's no items. There's no physical items at those locations that were placed there by anyone involved in Homestuck. Uh, do not go into the desert. It is. This is not that. This is not that kind of ARG. Uh, please do not. Please do not travel, and then be disappointed when there's nothing in the middle of Siberia. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, there was there was some innocuous or you know even funny stuff there was a there was a extra there was a secret sweet bro and hello jeff comic there was a uh folder full of roxy's shitty wizard pictures mm-hmm. um and then there was also a uh a folder of uh cursed data as it was called uh <laughs> really cursed yeah as it turns out it was really really cursed um <laughs> and uh this cursed content um and it was uh, 36 text files, uh, which detailed the history of uh, her imperious condescension's actions on both pre- and post-scratch Earth. Um, so as a brief overview of the content, it's, uh, it starts with a—it's uh, it's presented in an outline style. It's basically—it looks like what it is, which was an internal document— um, used for story planning. This document was referenced a while back uh, in uh, Homestuck Book 3 uh, as the... Uh, which is uh, it is actually was originally released in 2013. Like, this, do- you know, the bulk of this document was written prior to 2013 um, and was minorly updated before going out here. Uh, it includes the... It includes a new figure, uh, Calamity... Uh, the cherub that's the mother of both Calliope and Caliborn, um, some Wild West shit, and then gets extremely derailed uh, by a long, detailed, and uh, not particularly not particularly enjoyable uh, alt history that involves numerous real life figures like Laurel and Hardy, Albert Einstein, uh, Charlie Chaplin. And Adolf Hitler. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the uh, so 
I wanted to get into some of the things that were uh, unacceptable about this content, uh, regardless of their intent, um, and to address what folks are going to say. Um, I respect Andrew Hussey as a writer a great deal, and I think with respect comes the requirement for honesty. Um, and it is fine for someone to, you know, I think it is, uh, I don't think it's unfair to talk about this, having received some ads to that question. I don't think this is a, I don't think this is a witch hunt. I don't think it's anything like that. I think it's important to be able to be honest with artists that you respect and say, this isn't it chief. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, just, you know, uh, this didn't make the story better. Uh, I'd be extremely hesitant to treat any of it as canon content or theorize on it um, until it receives an edit because the author himself stated that it wasn't it wasn't well written, it wasn't finished, and it was it was inadvisable to post. Um, so that's that. Um, so let's get into some of the unacceptable elements and the reason for the content being removed in the first place. Um, the story describes a technology laundering operation run by the contest, taking Alternian technology and using it for uh, human technological advances during the uh, 20th century. Um so this includes the recruitment of several real-life historical figures as frauds who uh, passed off troll technology as their own invention, despite being buffoonish and, uh, and, and, and awful. And Albert Einstein specifically was depicted as this, ki- as this type of, uh, of buffoonish fraud. Um, mm. uh, <laughs> as part of this story, uh, Albert Einstein is mentioned as having employed a young Adolf Hitler, um, bullied him, uh, causing the petulant Adolf Hitler to become an anti-Semite, and for Adolf Hitler to have undertaken the Holocaust as an act of personal revenge against Albert Einstein that Albert Einstein could have stopped at any moment. Um, And I'm going to quote some of it here and this part i didn't actually read on stream mm-hmm. hitler gets really carried away in his new position aside from just being an asshole he seems mostly motivated by spite for einstein who keeps on being a beloved famous scientist despite being a fraud he takes out his wrath on jews especially and kicks the holocaust into high gear as years go by he keeps sending taunting letters to einstein telling him this is all his fault he can stop the Holocaust and end World War II anytime he wants. All he has to do is come out publicly and admit he's a fraud. He has to say really specific things Hitler has written for him. Like, I'm a big fucking loser fraud who's bad at science. I faked all my breakthroughs. My dumb scraggly hair and mustache look gay. And I don't deserve any of my fame or money. And so on. But no matter how bad World War II gets, Einstein is too ashamed to do, to do anything about it. Instead, he keeps up his act and develops a really pious, pacifist shtick where he opines on the tragedy and folly of war and such. He takes his shameful secret to his grave. Oh, I don't like he- I don't like hearing it. I read it, and I had to hear it again. I'm just like, who would write this? Why? Yeah. Oh, it's so unfortunate. It's just so bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Oh, and man. so for for those who are not aware, the portrayal of uh, and then Harry Houdini, who's also Jewish, is also depicted as being part of the Condessa's conspiracy here. Um, the portrayal of Jewish historical figures as part of a vast conspiracy designed to undermine the advancement of the human race um, or enslave the human race, uh, as the Condessa's goals are, is a concept with a great deal of precedent in anti-Semitic media dating back centuries. Um, there is a common trope of Jewish figures, both real and fictional characters, being depicted as secretly controlling the levers of power, as secretly being complicit with evil forces, and as being manipulative frauds who do not deserve the success that they have achieved. Um, this story plays into that those stereotypes. Um, it, while intended to be a satire, does nothing to actually establish it as a sat itself as a satire. Um, it does not challenge a, a, a reader who is not aware of these stereotypes, and it does not do anything to combat them in text. Instead, this document, were it to not be retracted, would have established that in Homestuck canon, a Jewish person was responsible for the Holocaust. <laughs> it's I don't have anything to add it's just completely ridiculous and horrible and god like oh I don't know what to say yeah. I'm speechless at how terrible this is yeah I yeah and it's it's uh it's it is it is a very difficult thing to reckon with um and uh, it was, as we'll get to Andrew's apology later, in the words of the author, inexcusably thoughtless. Um, if you, as a listener and a reader, read this as malicious, I cannot tell you not to do that. It is not my place to tell you not to do that. I think it is totally understandable to read this with malice in, in mind. Um, because... Uh, even if written out of ignorance, it conforms to the worst stereotypes, the worst anti-Semitic creations of media, and trivializes an event where 17 million individuals were killed. Um, <laughs> it's about the least productive thing you can do with your fiction. There... Mm -hmm are some other issues with the text as well. Uh, it's not just the anti-Semitism in the text uh, that led for it to be retracted. Um, first off, and most trivial, uh, there are a number of typos, structural issues, and just mm -hmm. fundamentally like unfinished writing in this document. It shouldn't have been shown to the public just from a quality perspective. It doesn't match the quality of the source material in any way. Um, there's a casual disregard of Native American lives at the start, um, troll, the troll caste system is explicitly compared to human slavery with the condest being noted as being in support of it. Um, uh, it 
again undermines the idea of the characters as a-racial by having Jake uh, by having Jake Harley be the father of Barack Obama's white mother. It also includes a portrayal, uh, a, descri- a description of Jake, who was 16, and Charlie Chaplin, who was 37, as having a, quote, turbulent romantic affair. But it should be noted that there were similar age differences in all four of Charlie Chaplin's real-life marriages, so I find that one to be acceptable as satire. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's it's still, you know, unpleasant. Yeah. Um, and to understand the impact of this, we also need to talk about the... Uh, compounding factors in this work and from this author in the past. Um, So in 2013, there was the Caucasian slash Peachy incident, um, which we talked about on the show in uh, both the racism episode, episode 17, and the trickster mode episode, episode 15. Um, So go ahead and listen to those if you want to hear more detail about it. Um, But those there was a joke that wasn't received as intended and was changed and apologized for. Um, and those using it for harassment were explicitly disavowed. Um, and part of, part of the impact of that apology and how meaningful it was is diminished for me by the fact that there was another, that's, you know, six years later, there was another fuck up and even worse one. An even worse one. Yeah. Um, there's also been a previous instance of, uh, reference that was anti-Semitic being edited in text. And, uh, Paige, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. So the song, um, Eternity Served Cold, which appears first in, um, in Caliborn's entry, I believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it was originally called Eternity Shylock. Now, Shylock is a, um, he's a character from The Merchant of Venice, uh, written by Shakespeare, who is a Jewish moneylender, and he's basically kind of this, you know, he's a vengeful bastard. He's trying to exact a pound of flesh from the, you know, the protagonist of the play. Um, and this, of course, is in reference to, or, well, the reason it's called Eternity Shylock, the song was titled that was, a, um, you know, referencing Caliborn's, uh, desire to exact a pound of smut from Dirk, among other things. Um, and when this title was revealed, people on Tumblr, you know, a lot of people were like, hey, this isn't cool. Shylock is an anti-Semitic depiction of Jews and we'd appreciate it. Or, you know, this isn't okay. Can you please change the name? And it was. Um, and not a lot of hullabaloo was made about it, except on Reddit by, you know, gross white dudes <laughs> those damn sjw's changing the name of songs uh-huh. how dare they you know but and so it wasn't it doesn't seem like it was that much of a not to say it wasn't a big issue but not a lot of you know stink was made about it compared to this for sure mm-hmm. um but it just is another instance of you know anti-semitism yeah. in hussey's work although I mean, I guess I don't know exactly who named it, but the fact that this is linked to Homestuck at all, and now, like, you know, several years later, we have to contend with this shitstorm mm-hmm. is just, you know, it makes you think. And anyone perusing, like, a casual read of the archives of the form spring from the early years of the comic can see just how much casual, quote, edgy humor, like, suffused um, Andrew's style of interacting with fans at the time. Um, as in a 2010 
as in a 2010 form spring answer about a about uh, troll names for punctuation marks that concludes with if the entire realm of inter- interrogative remarks were World War II, surprise noodles would be the mighty Nazis, while query hooks would be the lowly Jews. Um, and again, there's the the form spring has been deleted along with everything on it, um, and it's just sort of useful to note as a example of the style that suffused Andrew's writing and interactions at the time, um, that again, uh, I think we had all sort of hoped as a, as a fandom that he'd moved past. Right. And I know that he has attempted to, and it's, it's extreme. It's a, it's a, it's a inexcusable backslide to in 2019 Mm -hmm. return to that. Well, yeah. One of the things that bugged me about, especially the excerpt you read, and I know this is not what the pod, this episode is necessarily about, but the fact that one of the things that Hitler wants Einstein to say is that my hair and mustache are gay. And the fact that that is written in a, like in a piece of Homestuck Media in 2019, after we'd all been so surprised and, you know, happily surprised by the way that things ended with Dave, with uh, Rose and Kanaya, is just like a slap in the face for LGBT fans as well as, you know, Jewish fans. And I've been informed that chairlifts don't happen at Goyim weddings as often as I thought. So that kind of does lend credence to the idea that maybe he did want to make Rose Jewish, which I'm all in favor of. And the fact that he takes a, you know, there's a lesbian Jewish wedding in what was it, 2016 on Cascade Day. And then two years later, this nonsense is just appalling and upsetting, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It is. Um, in Homestuck, and one of the things that we've talked about in this work, the villains are bigoted. Um, bigotry mm-hmm. is depicted as, some, as like a weapon of evil, a weapon of social division. Like, Caliborn's whole character is this illustration of a certain kind of, like, privileged... Violent. Of, like, prim- privileged violence. Um, mm-hmm. Violent so, misogyny in particular. Yeah. And so to depict a villain calling someone gay or using gay as a pejorative is in line with the themes of this work, but quite That's frankly, true. but quite frankly, uh, it's hard to read in good faith that with, with the surrounding area. The thing is, is that in Homestuck's text, the bigots are depicted as bigoted. They are depicted as evil, like they are refuted by the other characters in text in this style of a disaffected, unknown narrative voice, there's no response to it. It's just how things happened. Yeah, exactly. That's a good way to put it, because I definitely understand, like, you know, um, that that's something that a horrible person would say, and Adolf Hitler, horrible person, right? But just the, the, the way that it's presented did not sit right with me that one particular line obviously the whole thing was presented terribly but it's a it's a good way of saying like you know you need if you're going to have people act horribly in your story you kind of need to say you need to have other characters point and be like this is not okay Mm -hmm. you know yeah um (laughs) just the fundamental fact is is, as people have discussed this contents removal as 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 um and I, I don't think this discussion is in good faith, but I'm going to acknowledge it anyway as a step back for controversial media. 
Um, and Homestuck has always been controversial. It's extremely strange. Uh, it's extremely hostile to the reader. Uh, it's, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it, you, it uniquely balances on the knife edge of, of like keeping you on your back foot of discomfort at many points in the story. Um, and it is a challenging work and it's part of why I admire it so much. And this content if you are a bigoted anti-Semite, if you are Pepe Blaster 99 and you are reading this story, you would not feel challenged at all. Mm-hmm. That's not challenging media. That doesn't challenge a perspective. That just hurts. That just hurts a, a group of people yeah. while, if while anything, providing comfort to the to the intolerant. Mm-hmm. If anything, it's challenging people who aren't anti-semitic it's like hey did you ever think that maybe jews do run the world maybe albert einstein was a fraud you know like that's not the kind of challenging you want to have in your story yeah it's not the kind that i thought andrew hussey would want to have in his story it's not the kind of story i'd want to read yeah 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 like you can say oh this is challenging but you have to think about who it's challenging exactly and what you know social norms you're kind of trying to upend and this one just plays right into the you know the thing that all the neo-nazis have been saying you know for you know and not just neo-nazis but like over the course of human history he jews have always been a scapegoat Mm -hmm. for all kinds of things and this is not you know this is going right into the norm even if it's not politically correct anymore it's definitely still there so it's not like this is anything people haven't heard before. This mm-hmm. isn't anything that I haven't had to contend with in my life before. Yeah, I've seen and, this. And I mean, just last year, there were two instances of of Jewish places of worship being attacked and people being killed uh, mm-hmm. for being Jewish by specifically anti-Semitic individuals. Like, anti-Semitism is alive and well. It is not a, it is not a dispatched problem. Um and it is not one that can be treated so trivially by our fiction without reckoning with the current modern effects of it. Um, another compounding factor to the upset that I felt, and I think a lot of folks did, uh, and this is a coincidence, the, the High Swap team had nothing to do with this release, with one exception, Um but the the hive the hive swap writers did take uh, the reference to Stelsa being troll Jewish out of her troll call card between revisions when they posted the new hive swap website. Mm-hmm. And I, as soon as Stelsa was revealed, I was ecstatic. I was so excited to finally have like a canon Jewish character that was acknowledged as such in like in so many words to be Jewish, even if it's like troll judaism which is like what does that mean but i was excited to find out like what do they celebrate you know the you know some sort of uh, uh winter holiday that involves lighting candles you know is there does this have something to do with the sufferer maybe even mm-hmm. you know i was so excited about that and i was kind of let down by her root but it was made up for it by the fact that you know lesbians and she did kind of read as like sort of a jewish grandmother character which made me really happy because it felt authentic to me mm-hmm. um but and but they didn't address it strongly enough for it to warrant staying in her troll call which i guess i kind of understand but it was a little bit of a letdown because i it wasn't clear when they removed that if they were saying oh she's not jewish anymore or oh we're just not gonna mention it on this list of three things about this character you know but then to have this happen concurrently or you know 
immediately after is kind of upsetting. And it would be nice if, um, I don't know if something, I don't know how this could be resolved, this particular issue, but it's just something to note that like, like another massive letdown for Jewish fans immediately after Celsa's, you know, kind of is shoving her to her religious or cultural, um, identity kind of to the background of her character is not very, um, good. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry. I I lost the ability to say words, but it's, it's just not, it doesn't make anyone happy. It's not, you know, no one likes that. No one, no one liked that. (laughs) No one liked that. that. Welcome to episode 19. No one liked that. Um, so now I wanted to read and discuss the two pieces of official communication we got out of Skynet after this incident. Um, so within a within a couple hours of this content being discovered first by fans, it was deleted from the website. Um, and then the next morning, an apology was put on the website in place of the original content. Um And uh, the apology was written by Andrew Hussey, and I'm going to read it now. Originally, there was some backstory content hidden in some cursed tags in this site code. I came up with the concepts years ago for internal purposes, not originally intended for public consumption. I thought some might find it interesting if the material were leaked in the site code in an obscure way. I think it has proven to be neither obscure as imagined, nor all that rewarding to read. The subject matter was inflammatory in careless ways, and the negative reactions to it are legitimate and should have been expected. A drafting process can be messy and can result in some ill-advised nonsense, which often should not see the light of day. Letting a bunch of rough draft text files be deployed in this way was not a well-considered move. Obviously, this material has hurt a lot of people, which isn't what I was going for and didn't anticipate, but certainly should have. As far as the intentions behind it, I'm sure I believed it would, be, it would be read as condemnation through satire, but instead it came off as excessively irreverent and disrespectful of a sensitive topic. To be clear, the main topic relates to anti-Semitism, which of course is not an issue that should be handled frivolously. After receiving criticism, it's obvious to me where I'd been mistaken, and why no one could have possibly read it the way it was intended. I know this content was bad, I regret putting it in a place where people would discover it, and I regret that it was drafted in the first place. I acknowledge that there are certain subjects which demand an exceptional level of care, and that I have been inexcusably thoughtless in handling this. I understand that there should be a certain standard of consideration and review for the content that is presented to an audience, and in forgoing that consideration, there have been serious consequences for those people whom this issue directly affects. This could have been easily avoided had I sought a more careful review before it was posted to ensure that what I actually wanted to convey was being properly conveyed. I'm sorry that this lapse of judgment has been hurtful to so many people. I cannot undo the damage that this has caused, but I can promise that I am aware of the gravity of this mistake and that going forward, I will be more mindful of the serious impact careless decisions have on those they hurt. What do you think of that? I think it's a start. It definitely, I mean, it was a relief to see just because it made me feel like, okay, I don't have to drop Homestuck from my life entirely, you know? Because he recognizes, oh, hey, this was a bad thing that I did, and I should apologize for it and make, you know, try to make sure that people understand, you know, that, I don't know, this wasn't done maliciously. I don't actually, 
I'm not a I'm not a neo-Nazi, basically. It's mm-hmm. kind of the, the first step here to be like, hey, this isn't something I actually believe. And I'm really sorry that it, it came off that way. And I understand why it came off that way and why it was unacceptable. You know, yeah. Um, mostly, and I, I, so my first instinct was like, oh, thank God I don't have to throw out these books I just got, you know. (laughs) But I definitely think like after several more reads, it's like, you know, you didn't really address everything. You kind of need to say some more about what you're going to do in the future to kind of make sure that this doesn't happen again, you know. Yeah. Uh, You know, for me, it's, uh, (laughs) it is a start. Um, It is good that there's an acknowledgement. It is the right thing to do to have apologized in a timely fashion. It was the right thing to do to have deleted the content quickly after having posted it. It wasn't the right thing to post this. Um, It wasn't the right thing to write this. Um, And any individuals who did review it and found it to be acceptable to post should not be in charge of reviewing content before it goes live for this company in the future. Um, Uh So... uh, I'm going to move on to that because uh, one individual has uh, come out and stated that they did see the content before it went up. Um, and it was V, uh, who's a who's a writer for uh, Hive Swap Friends Sim, who wrote both Lank and Marvis's routes, um, and uh, recently has joined Twitter at V from Homestuck. Um, And I'm going to go ahead and read their statement now. There were several people who had previously seen the content that was released on the Skyanet website the other day. I was one of them. This content was written some years ago in a different context. I believe at the time that I'd read it, it was not intended for anything other than a kind of lore roadmap to inform unrelated future content. It was presented basically as is, a very rough, outline-style document that was not meant to be viewed externally. There were obvious problems with the document, which I recognized at the time. But my reactions to an incredibly rough outline intended only for internal planning purposes were probably imbued with less urgency than they would have been had I actually reviewed the content with the understanding that it was to be published as is. And to speak very candidly, I think that frequently with which I tell Andrew that his ideas are stupid and terrible in a facetious manner may honestly have obfuscated the sincerity of my objections at that time. I could have and should have been more clear that I wasn't joking. I believe after that point, the idea was dropped pretty quickly, and these documents were left to sit unreviewed for a long time. By the time the prospect of releasing the raw outline was raised years later, I had honestly forgotten most of the details of the story and exactly how bad the objectionable parts had been. That being said, I certainly remembered enough that I should have felt motivated to review the material again when I heard he was considering posting it. While I had no part in writing it, I was not proactive in stopping it, and in that I feel I hold a burden of negligence." Not for nothing, I think the fact that this content had technically passed the eyes of several people whose opinions he has come to trust in matters like this was a significant factor in what made him feel like it would be received as humorous. It isn't that none of us recognized that there were problems, but none of us at any point said to him in clear terms, do not post this, or you have to take out X, Y, Z specific parts, and here is why, and we aren't just making fun of you this time. While the responsibility for a person's actions obviously ultimately rests with that person, I think in the course of demanding from our privileged friends deference to and trust in our judgment, it also incurs upon us some degree of responsibility and ensuring that the judgment we are instructing them to follow is also sound and thoughtful. I don't think that he received that in this. 
I discussed this with one of the other people who I'd seen it more recently, and they related to me that at, that, at the point they'd given Andrew their feedback, they had only skimmed the document without actually finishing it. I think that my disengagement and disinterest in reviewing it, again, may as well have been tacit encouragement. As this was a free, quasi-official Easter egg dispersed obscurely within the source code of a website, it was not subject to a full formal review process, as would a collaborative work passing through the company itself for wide publication. And I'd like to clarify specifically that the FriendSim slash HiveSwap team was not associated with this in any way. He sought review and input from several friends in an informal capacity over an extended period of time, and received potentially misleading feedback from multiple sources. Due to the completely unbothered atmosphere from the people who were aware of its impending release, I don't think he imagined it would have the hurtful impact that it did. I think this inaction is why he believed it would be okay. I truly do not believe Andrew had any malicious intent. In saying this, I do not intend to excuse Andrew's actions or my inaction, but I hope this explanation can help fans understand how and why this happened. I'd also like to make clear that I'm not writing this because I've been asked to. I feel that in being negligent in this matter, I failed him personally as a friend and as someone who was in a position to easily prevent him from making an ass of himself. And more importantly, I was also in a position to discourage this from being released at all. But I did not take the steps to actively involve myself in the review of this content such that I could have helped prevent the damage it caused to the people who had to read it. This event has certainly reminded me of the responsibility I hold as someone associated with a property of this reach and impact, with a marginalized perspective that that I have impressed upon its greater entitles me to a greater level of understanding and foresight with regards to matters that will impact the marginalized community than he has. He trusts us to tell him when he has made a mistake, and we do not do that adequately. So I'd like to apologize for my part in allowing this to happen, and assure you that going forward I will be appropriately vigilant to the extent of my power in ensuring nothing like this will happen again. Again, I must emphasize I am speaking only as an individual. What I'm saying here is entirely independent from what Pumpkin and does not represent its position as a company entity. So, I have some fairly serious issues with this uh, statement. (laughs) Um, I I wanted to ask what your reaction to it was. Again, it was sort of like, at first my reaction was like, a little bit of relief, because it it did give a little bit of... um, a little more kind of background on exactly how this came to be, you know? Um, but I also agree with what, you know, cause later you said, you know, this isn't, uh, this wasn't really helpful. This was only detrimental, you know, and you know a lot about that stuff because that's kind of your job, like what you do for a living, <laughs> you know, I have done professional PR work and, and still yeah, exactly, do. Yeah. Exactly. Cause you, you know more about that stuff than I do. Originally I was just like, Oh, another person, apologizing that's great mm-hmm. i'm glad that's i'm glad that people are real you know people who are involved in this at all were, are realizing hey we did a bad job here and i we want to say sorry so that's kind of nice but i agree that it does kind of muddle the waters and like it it, it implicates several more people who we now don't know or whereas hussy was willing to be like hey this is all my fault because i mean and v does say the person you know a person's actions ultimately are their own to take responsibility for. But Hussey was willing to do that without saying, Hey, these other folks did look at it and they didn't say anything was bad with it. So it's not, you know, all my fault. Um, and the fact that someone else is trying to come in and be like, Hey, so actually there were several people who looked at this beforehand and thought it was okay. So it's not all Hussey's fault. Just seems like you're kind of undermining his own statement, you know? Yeah. I think it makes his apology less impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have three fundamental issues with this statement. Um, 
the first is simply that it paints a picture of a dysfunctional working process uh, for one reviewer to say that they only skimmed it um, and for another to say that they had forgotten most of the content. Um, it does not speak to a level of care uh, equivalent to the amount of attention that this would receive. And it is frankly naive to assume that the Homestuck community, full of anticipation, um, full of excitement for this year, 2019, and the content that is going to be coming out in this year, would not immediately rush to digest content posted on the at the very beginning of this year. Um, this is a critical year for Homestuck as a property. It is the 10th year of its existence, and effectively the epilogue or post-canon content, the reaction to it and the excitement for it is a, is a way of testing can lightning strike twice in this, yeah. in this f- type of fan interest, and are there another 10 years in this property, right? And that's the amount of time that's going to be necessary for the video game property attached to it, which was harmed by this release, to finish telling its story um Mm -hmm. and so again it 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 paints a picture of a process of an internal process that isn't that that does not best serve the work and does not best set up the creators behind this project for success and uh does not adequately protect them from the cons from the negative consequences that can come with this sort of attention my second issue with this statement is that it raises more questions than it answers um, by stating that there were multiple other reviewers um, without naming them. It creates a culture of suspicion uh, where any, where any unnamed individual might have been complicit in the release of this content. And uh, I don't think that that's fair to individuals in the orbit of this project to paint with such a broad brush and say there were other individuals that saw this and I won't say anything else. I don't, to be clear, I do not believe that we as a community deserve the names of those figures. I do not think that their anonymity should be compromised. Um, and I, I, I do not want to hunt them down. What I'm saying is it's inadvisable to say that there's an amorphous group of individuals and create that speculation and put that pressure on individuals close to this project. And my third issue is the one that you talked about, which is simply that it does undermine Andrew's apology. Um, I understand the impulse to want to protect your friend and collaborator. I understand that greatly. Um, I think it is a noble instinct, and I think it's totally fair and understandable to try to do it, to try to be a good friend, to try to be a good creative partner. But I don't think that this helps convey the message that this is an event for which the responsibility is being taken and appropriate actions are being taken to ensure it doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. And that brings us to the next thing that I wanted to talk about, which is what are the next steps for Skynet in the wake of this? And how can they rebuild trust with fans who were hurt by this and put the property in the best place to succeed in 2019 and beyond? I think they really do just need to have more people looking at this stuff with an eye specifically for like, is there some way that this might be read wrong is there some way that this might 
you know, hurt people who are just fans who are just trying, you know, just trying to enjoy a web comic, you know. Um, and I know that, you know, there's we joke about Hussey being kind of a cryptid and he, you know, for the longest time in Homestuck, it was kind of just him doing all the stuff and take only all he did was like take you know the the input suggestions from readers and the reader base was very small at that time um compared to it is now or compared to the jump in like 2011 ish anyway Uh um but i think it he he said this himself that it's like it's a kind of a collaborative effort and you see that even in the later days when obviously he couldn't be taking suggestions anymore you see canon or fan ideas that people came up with you know um coming back to make an appearance in the comic proper you know the one of the best example i can think of that is uh shelby you know who wrote you know this mass this big old fan work that everyone loved and ended up being not just an artist for the comic but being basically the representation of fandom Uh in the comic you know and i think that's great and i think that if they want to continue the spirit of homestuck which is sort of talking you know or conversation between the creators and the fandom they do need to have someone looking at this with you know basically they need to have sensitivity readers and i don't think that would be um necessarily a problem given the way that homestuck has always worked where it's always been kind of you know the fans giving input in whatever you know tangential ways that come back to the comic itself this would just be kind of a more direct version of that Uh with more of a less frivolously like hey you know that trickster design ended up being canonized and more like hey there's not going to be any you know questionable content anymore because we have people looking at this but it's still a way that the fans can kind of shape the way that the comic moves from here on out you know Uh the I think the fundamental thing is is that uh, people people hear sensitivity reader and they hear that and they think oh it's somebody's going to nerf Homestuck right because Homestuck has always been provocative and direct um, and it has included you know stuff that is weird and 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 sometimes upsetting and fiction can contain those things and that's part of why I was so disappointed to hear that the Hive Swap and Friends Sim teams were not consulted before this release um, because. The writer base uh, and the creative base for Hive Swap has is is a is a diverse group of people who just spent the last year of 2018 writing content that was provocative, that was controversial, that fit the style of Homestuck and and built fan engagement and community around it. Um, exactly. All while avoiding PR missteps like this, even while engaging with controversial subjects in the Frensem. You know, these individuals did a fantastic job being the sole face of this property for the last year, right? And even now, the individuals working on HighSwap are the only public interface that fans have um, to the project. And, you know, to put out this sort of content without uh, consulting them, it's it's frankly, it's just, uh, it's, it's just not utilizing the talent that you have on hand. Right. Like I, you know, it's, uh-huh. it's, it's just, it's not to the service of the work. Um, yeah. and these individuals who have worked in the Homestuck universe already, who have turned in fantastic work in it, like 
you know, they're not a disaffective sensitivity reader who like doesn't understand what the appeal of Homestuck is. These are people who exactly. get it. Um, yeah. And so per- personally, I'd hope that in the future, uh, the folks involved in the very successful 2018 project, Hive Swap Friends Sim, will be more involved in the mainline property moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, we also got a, we got a reader question this week, a listener question this week. Uh, Jet Gray asked on Discord, is there any good comparison between what happened with Skyanet and Hydra Captain America? And I think absolutely yes. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I actually talked about this day of with a number of individuals. Um, the Secret Empire storyline from 2017. Um, and uh, yeah. The... Uh, I- Sorry, go on. Well, I was just going to say, I remember when that happened, and I am not a comic book person, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I do, I, I'm i sort of an MCU fan, kind of. And in the MCU, my favorite is Captain America. So I saw these, and I was like, what the hell did they just do to my favorite? You know, mm-hmm. and it's, I know, I realized that in comic books, there's always, like, several different continuities going on. But the fact that this character that was created by a Jewish man during World War II and his whole, you know, original premise was like, he's going to punch the Nazis. Mm -hmm. He's going to punch Adolf Hitler in the face to take that and to associate him with a, you know, a a shadowy, um, evil, what's the word, organization Mm -hmm. that is, was originally created to be a, basically a fictional Nazi, you know, group but with more weird technology and magic is just kind of a slap in the face of everything that Captain America once was supposed to represent, you know? Mm -hmm. And again, I'm saying this not as someone who's a comic books fan. I don't feel like this was a betrayal to me personally because I haven't been following this character for very long, you know? But it's not that hard to see why this is a problem, you know? Yeah. If you if you know anything about A Captain America and B Hydra, you know that this isn't a cool thing to do and they thought we're going to do this, you know, for shock value. It's like you really need to stop and think about what you're doing and who this is going to shock and if that's necessarily a good thing, you mm-hmm. know? And I think I feel like the Homestuck case, it's not it wasn't really done for shock value so much as it was just, you know, this is the way that Hussey kind of writes, but he didn't really think about exactly what this particular piece of writing kind of implied, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not really the exact same kind of situation, but it definitely was a betrayal to the fans and to the original. Well, I won't say that. It's a betrayal to the fans, I think. And yeah. especially, you know, again, to Jewish fans. Yeah. And I think my takeaway from thinking about these comparisons is this. Marvel didn't apologize for what they did. They profited off it immensely. It was the best-selling comic series of the year. Um, They didn't have to. They had PR agents handling it in every major media source, right? Like, they they continued raking over, you know, making money hand over fist. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is so common. Our large corporate media companies, they make missteps like this, and then it's lost. The media drops it. Fans drop it because of the extensive cultural presence that they have. And when an independent artist fucks up, even if they do really, really fuck up, it's a lot easier for fans to think 
this person is canceled now because they're accessible. It's easier to cancel them. It's easier to cut them out. And I understand completely if your response to this posting on the first is to leave. Um, I won't try to convince you to stay. But I'm staying because I believe that this is a work in a fictional universe that has a titanically influential place in the history of literature and in the history of the way that we interact with it. I believe that it was a landmark story for LGBT representation in comics. And I believe that this comics evolving, frustrating relationship with race is emblematic of the struggles that we are going through as a society and the cultural issues that we have. And it is, it's hurtful what's happened, but it is reassuring to know that the response to it was not indifference. The response to it was not hunkering down and defending it. The response to it was not playing to those who would seek to use Homestuck as an instrument to hurt the marginalized and instead express regret and hopefully continue to work to take actions to prevent this. Just because an artist feels bad about doing something doesn't mean that it wasn't hurtful or you also can't be angry at them. Um, and I'm certainly angry. Um, I am, I am very upset that this content got to the light of day. Um, I, you know, I, part of, part of why I wanted to talk about this on the show was that I feel like this show has spent a lot of time talking about this work as a, as a force for empathy, um, and a lot of time convincing marginalized fans that there's a place for you here. And it felt like a gut punch to have something that was so thoughtless at protecting the, the, the marginalized. Um, but I'm staying because I think that this is a transformative work. And I think that through the proper application of accountability through honesty, we can change anything for the better. And even if it's just a webcomic, the idea of being able to change and grow and move past your mistakes is important. And it will be essential for us if we're going to move past the culture of division and fear that we're currently mired in across the world. Mm -hmm. I don't have anything to add to that. It's kind of everything I've been thinking. It's like, I mean, the other thing is I'm too hyper fixated to let go at this point, you know, <laughs> like, you know, bad brain. Drop that. Yeah. Um, I mean, what am I going to do with all these facts about Vriska that exactly. I know? Exactly. Like <laughs> what, what, what am I supposed to do with these books? I just got for Hanukkah. Like, uh -huh. God damn. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, 
it's like, as long as I'm here, as long as I've already sold my soul to this work, I might as well try to do what I can to, you know, make it better and talk about these issues and try to do something about it and hope that we can all come to an understanding and hope that the people who are responsible for this can understand exactly what they've done wrong and try to change in the future, you know? Yeah. And Paige, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this. I know this has been in like a challenging week. Um, and mm-hmm. I really, I'm, I'm so thankful that you could share your perspective with us on the show. Of course. And I guess that is our show, as a matter of fact. Um, mm-hmm. So the uh, intro music and background music behind readings this week was by myself. Uh, you can find uh, my EP2 at katemitchell.bandcamp.com. Um, the outro music uh, is Perfectly Generic, the theme of the podcast, the incredible theme of the podcast by President for Life of the Perfectly Generic music team, Gumi. You can find their music at Smoothie fruity that's s-m-o-o-t-h-i-e-f-r-u-i-t-e-e dot bandcamp.com you can also find a link in the description to both those band camps um speaking of links in the description uh the perfectly generic podcast will be live from burbank california on march 24th and both of us will be there on the panel for that episode yeah um, i'm gonna be there it's gonna be exciting i'm so excited yeah i'm really excited as well um we're gonna have a number of individuals guests uh austin Otto, Spiraz, um uh a number of, of of unannounced guests as well and james roach will be helping set up audio so you can you know give him a high five for making such good music um mm. you can find this podcast at perfectly generic podcast.com at twitter.com slash pod at pod on tumblr um and you can join our discord through either the pinned tweet on our twitter account or a link in the description the discord is where we take most of the questions for shows and where folks have great discussions about homestuck and hive swap um you can find me at twitter.com slash gamblignant8. It's my Homestuck account. Twitter.com slash KateMitchellOW is my account where I talk about Overwatch, my day job. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, I'm also on Tumblr at gamblignant8, but I, I don't use it very much. Where can folks find you, Paige? Um, mostly at uh, Twitter. My at is KilliaKill. That's K-I-L-L-I-A-K-I-L-L because I love Kill a Kill. <laughs> I still don't understand anything about anime. People always come on the show and they talk about anime and I have no idea. All right. Well, thank you so much, Paige. That's our show for this week. Thank Uh, you, Kate. You know, keep... Hey, I know it's been a tough week, listeners. Keep fucking... Keep plugging. Let's go. Yeah. (laughs) Keep on keeping on.